Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Before we begin this episode, I want to tell you about an unbelievable company called Nunamed. Nunamed has created a urinary tract support tea made solely from herbs which have been tested and proven to both prevent and treat UTIs. My pelvic floor physical therapist recently told me about this product as another one of her patients actually created it. The story behind Nunamed is crazy. The founder, Allie, was in a horrible accident a few years ago that resulted in a spinal cord injury, which then led to pelvic floor problems. Allie now catheters every day, which led to the development of recurrent UTIs. From having to take so many antibiotics to treat these UTIs, she ultimately ended up with antibiotic resistance. When she came across support tea from a naturopathic doctor, she felt compelled to put her education to work and test, source, package, and scale it in order to bring it to a larger audience. So when I found out about this product, I of course ordered it immediately, and I can tell you it really, really works, even just to calm my bladder regardless of a UTI or not. I've tried endless amounts of natural products throughout my life, and this is truly one of the only ones that I've seen to have almost immediate results. It's proven to be 80% effective on patients and is definitely worth a shot if you get UTIs and are looking for a first-line treatment option. It works best when consumed right when your symptoms start in order to prevent a UTI you feel coming on or to treat one that you know you already have. However, I just want to make it clear that sometimes antibiotics are necessary, so if you do have an infection, always consult with your doctor. With that said, this tea has worked wonders for me, and I definitely think it's something worth trying. So if you or anyone you know suffers from UTIs, head to nunamed.com, that's N-U-N-A-M-E-D.com, and enter promo code BYUTI, B-Y-E-U-T-I, at checkout for 20% off your first order. Once again, that's nunamed.com, and the promo code is BYUTI. We are here with Dr. Erica Marchand. She is a sex and relationship therapist based in LA. And we are going to talk about a very interesting few topics related to sexual pleasure and how many people who have pelvic pain might kind of defamiliarize themselves with sexual pleasure when they have been living with chronic pain for so long. So I think that this will be a really interesting conversation. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk about this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So can you just briefly tell us how you got started in this career? And yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like you said, I'm a psychologist. I specialize in sex and couples therapy and relationship issues. Um, And really, it started out of 
the opposite. Like I grew up in the South in, mm-hmm. in Texas and Louisiana. And so when I was a kid, there was nothing about sex ed or, or right. like sexual pleasure, anything like that, especially for women. It was all very taboo. Mm-hmm. It was very like, don't talk about it. And so I, you know, as I grew up, I decided this doesn't seem right. I don't like this. I want to be part of, you know, actually helping people to fix their problems and have better sex and, you know, have an open conversation about it. And so that was the genesis of how I got interested in the field. And then I realized there is a whole field around it in psychology of sex therapy and sexuality. And so I decided this is for me. And that's how I started. Very cool. And how long have you been doing this in LA for? I've been in private practice here for about five years, five mm-hmm. and a half years. Um, before that, I worked at UCLA. That's That was right. the start of my time in LA, um, doing some research and a little bit of uh, psychotherapy there. And then I transitioned to private practice, Very which is cool. where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can you tell us about the patients you work with who have different forms of pelvic pain, whether it's vulvodynia or painful sex, endometriosis, um, kind of what what the type of patients you see are and how you help these patients in your practice. Yeah, definitely. So like you said, there's a lot of different reasons for pelvic pain, a lot of different kinds of it. Right. And so my clients tend to be across the board of what's causing the pain. Mm-hmm. But usually people come to me because they're having some kind of pain with sex right. and something that's getting in the way of their sexual relationship or the relationship they want to have or something like that. Right. So I've found actually that a lot of the women who come to me for pain Um, tend to be younger Mm -hmm. um, because I think there's a lot more information out there about pelvic pain now and a lot more people are getting diagnosed with with what's going on and understanding it better and getting treatment for it so I think that's all really good Um, so yeah so usually it's people who are having trouble with sex right the pain's getting in the way usually they're getting treatment other places too like with physical therapy or urology or gynecology or something along those lines too Mm -hmm. and they're coming to me to deal with the psychological relationship aspects of it which are significant you know as I'm sure and I think that the work you do I mean I know that the work you do is so important because a lot of women and men who have issues with you know painful sex or just their sexual health in general don't see a therapist to help with the mental kind of pain that comes with that and i think that that's such an important healing aspect of any form of pelvic pain or sexual Mm -hmm. pain is kind of addressing like the mental trauma of that because that Mm -hmm. takes a huge toll on your mental health I could not agree more. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where you really have to treat it holistically. Right. Like you can't just do the mental part. You can't just do the physical part. Right. It's everything. I completely agree. And yeah. so when the patient, when these patients come to you who are having, you know, these types of symptoms, what does your kind of course of treatment look like or how do you walk them through the process of, mm-hmm. you know, what you think will help them or what they kind of can do to help themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends often on what the person wants, so what right. their goals are. Right. For some people, it's about 
just trying to get through the current phase of treatment. So I've seen some people at the beginning of their pelvic pain treatment, like they've just been diagnosed and it can be pretty severe. And so for those people, it's about, okay, let's get, let's cope, let's get through this. Let's, you know, build some mindfulness strategies and self-care strategies and and relaxation strategies to try to just deal with the the actual pain, the, the mental pain that comes along with having pain like build hope that you're going to get through this. So that's the beginning for a lot of people. Right. And then sometimes it's people who are not in quite that exact same place, but people who maybe have been in treatment for a while and want to get back to having some kind of sexual relationship, um, or maybe there's been a lack of sex and a lack of pleasure and there's stuff going on in their relationship as a result of it, and they want to try to um, repair that and get back to a better relationship. And so... That's another set of people. Um, and for some people, too, it's about dating. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of, like I said, there's a lot of younger women who experience pain and, right. you know, come to me for that. And uh, in a lot of cases, they're they're dating. They're not in an existing relationship. And there's a lot of stuff that comes up around, like, can I date somebody? You know, am I, quote unquote, broken? Mm-hmm. Is anybody going to want to date me with this condition? There's a lot of distress. and. excuse me, as you can imagine, like anxiety about what's going to happen. And so that's another thing that we talk about sometimes too. And that that makes perfect sense because if you're having painful sex or you aren't able to have sex, you think about that before you even go on a date with someone. You're like, well, this is something I'm not going to be able to do at some Mm -hmm. point. What's the point of me even trying to date? Yes. And it's like a vicious cycle. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So why why even approach it to begin with? Let me just back off. Right. And just, you know, put this aside until the pain is better or something changes. So what do you tell those patients? Yeah. This is like the whole thing <laughs> with pelvic yeah, pain. Yeah. So my take is... Uh-huh. Life short, right? And there's a lot of excuse me crap that can happen in one's life, and even so, if there's something that you value, so if you value dating Mm -hmm. and having a partner, or if you value having sexual pleasure, or if you value you know X Y Z in your life, let's try to find a way that you can have as much of it as you can, even in the current circumstances. Right. So if you value dating, for example, like to your question, Uh or finding a partner, okay, well let's try to figure out how we can work with the current situation to allow you to do that. So maybe that means reframing this idea that if I can't like spontaneously all the time have sex, nobody's going to want to date me. Because I think that's one of the beliefs that comes up, right? Um, Or, you know, so let's reframe that to something a little bit probably more accurate. So Mm -hmm. like maybe it's going to take some conversations and maybe it's going to take choosing a partner more carefully sometimes than you otherwise might but that it's still possible and that there are other examples of women who've done that um or you know if you value yeah if you value having sexual pleasure let's try to think of okay it's not all or nothing it's not like either you can either you can or can't have sex like a lot of people think of intercourse as sex like you can or can't have intercourse and then that means you can or can't date somebody um let's have it not be so all or nothing let's try to figure out the nuances of what you can have that you want so that's kind of the framework of how i would approach it no i think that makes perfect sense and i think it's important to kind of help people shift the way that the way 
that they view sex mm-hmm. because a lot of people view it as sort of a black and white thing which mm-hmm. it really does not need to be kind of looked at that way yeah exactly exactly and it's funny that's part of my work not just with people with pelvic pain but any kind of sexual issue Mm -hmm. requires kind of expanding what we think of as sex and so that's something that comes up for people over and over again often right yeah and so before we sat down here we kind of spoke that we wanted to talk about sexual pleasure and Mm -hmm. bringing how you know people with pelvic pain can bring sexual pleasure back into their lives um and pleasure in general is such an important part of life and Mm -hmm. more often than not the pleasure component is kind of taken away from people's lives when they have pelvic pain so even if you know they have pain how can they kind of work around that and if the pain is masking what they know like masking all of their pleasure that they Mm -hmm. had once been familiar with um how do you work with these clients in order to kind of help bring back pleasure into their life yeah yeah that's huge right because i think you're right sometimes when there's pain it it automatically seems like it just eclipses everything else it it takes away pleasure it kind of outweighs it it's distracting it's distressing it's you know super everything so um the way that i think about it is is there a way to have pleasure even with pain can they coexist like can we find something to do that allows you to have pleasure even with pain right so for example um i have a client who i've worked with for a while Mm -hmm. who um you know, went, went through initial phases of her treatment to try to figure out what was going on and get a diagnosis about what was causing her pain. I think that's really important. Um, and then kind of got to understand her pain better so she knows like what, what provokes pain and what doesn't she knows like if she has a flare what to do about it she has a a pretty good understanding of of her pain right and so after after that like after she'd gone through enough treatment and enough you know just knowing her body better to figure that out she decided okay well I have to experiment now to try to understand sexually what's okay and what's not okay and Mm -hmm. so that was kind of her approach she said okay so I need to then figure out with my partner, what can we do that doesn't hurt? Mm -hmm. And for her, some of it was just about experimenting, like trying things with a partner that she trusted. Of course, it's hard to do that if you don't trust the other person. But with a partner that she trusted and being able to speak up, you know, if something felt good or didn't, she kind of underwent a strategy of let's figure it out. And I think for her that worked really well because she knew her pain really well and she was okay with um, if she did happen to provoke a flare, she was okay with what to do about that. Right. So that was her strategy and one that I actually kind of like a lot. So let's see, even in the in the existence of pain, what, what could produce pleasure also. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. I think another thing is just to recognize that there is still pleasure available, oftentimes, depending on the pain, but oftentimes yeah. there is still pleasure available. It's not all or nothing. It's right. not like you can't, approach that if you want to um, even if there's pain there for sure so sometimes it's about exploration with a partner or just self-exploration to figure out what feels good what doesn't feel good you know right and even yesterday when I was doing a, the podcast with Stephanie mm-hmm. Prendergast the pelvic floor physical therapist she was also talking about how when she treats people with pelvic pain which she does for a living every day she said people only know when they felt great and when mm-hmm. they felt horrible 
Yes. So they forget about all of the in-between of like, yeah. oh, I'm better than I was a month ago. I'm better mm-hmm. than I was two months ago. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of similar to what you're explaining now is people only remember when they had full pleasure, if they ever had like full yeah. pleasure, no pain, sex was great, perfect, nothing was wrong. Right. They remember that and they remember how they feel now. Yes. And they forget like the in-between, like there can still be pleasure. There mm-hmm. can still be other ways to have sex or you know view sexual activities in a way that's not all painful yes i love that yeah yeah it can be really understandably it can feel really all or nothing because having pelvic pain is so it's so frustrating and discouraging and depressing and angering and just it it can seem so impossible to deal with Mm -hmm. for so many people that I completely understand that when once that happens you you know there is kind of an understandable impulse to just throw your hands up and be like whatever I'm just I'll I'll just figure out the pleasure part when this is all over and done with um which is okay too, you know, everybody gets to decide for themselves where they're at, but I think you don't have to do that. You don't have to just give up on pleasure until the pain's gone. Yeah, and in fact, I think sometimes that does more harm than good, because then you don't have any pleasure in the meantime. It's just pain, Right. yeah. And then another kind of component that I'm sure you see a lot in your practice that relates to pelvic pain um, is trauma. And that's something that Mm -hmm. I've never talked about on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. I think that this is kind of the perfect opportunity to touch upon it since I'm sure it's something that you see often. And I'm curious, and I'm sure everyone listening is curious, like how past trauma kind of relates to pelvic pain, painful sex, and like how how you see it in your practice. Mm -hmm. And why you know especially with women sexual trauma is so prevalent oh my god that's, that's a, big a big one <laughs> yeah <laughs> we could talk about patriarchy we could talk about <laughs> women being devalued we could yeah. talk about power structures all of that plays into it definitely right. we could talk about lack of protection we could talk about how women aren't taught to like talk about sex and and set their boundaries and and all that stuff like all of that yeah. is part of why what that trauma could be like is a whole so, other episode yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no it's a great question though like but that, i think all of that is right. part of why trauma is so prevalent sexual trauma in particular is so prevalent right. for women i think the, the stats are something like one in two women in their lives will ever experience anything unwanted yeah se- sexually or yeah. something that they consider traumatic that's and huge i don't know how it's never been brought up on the podcast because it's one of the main kind of causes of pelvic pain sometimes yeah it can be it, can, it, it definitely can, like, bring can it be. on for a lot of people but mm-hmm. it's never really at least here been spoken about so yeah and it's an indefinitely it, yeah. yeah like so sometimes if there's been a past traumatic experience especially if the traumatic experience itself was painful right um there can be an injury that actually continues to cause pain. There can just be an association, like a mental, physical association of sex with pain. So it's easier to have that that experience. Right. Um, there can be a lot of different ways that it connects. Um, and it's interesting sometimes too, I have to say this part too, um, the, the association of trauma with pain. I think it's been the case sometimes that, especially in 
actually in medicine too, I was going to say especially in psychology, but I think in psychology and medicine, there's been a tendency to assume that if a woman comes in with pelvic pain or sexual pain, then necessarily there's been trauma in her life. And that's not true. Like I have a lot of women who come and they're like, my gynecologist said maybe I have some trauma that I don't remember, you know, and that's why I'm having pain. Is that going on? And I, I can't say that's never happening, but I think as we know more about the physical causes of pain um, it's easier to put that to rest that necessarily every time a woman has pain it means there's been trauma in her history it's just not the case and I think that has scared a lot of women but sometimes there is and even if there is trauma in someone's history oftentimes there is still that physical component of what's causing pain I think we're learning a lot more about how the body responds to traumatic experiences is not just the mind. And so there are like physical changes like inflammation or, um, you know, some kind of dysregulation of the immune system or like actual physical things that we can also treat even right. if there's been trauma. Doctors are starting to realize and psychologists and right. other medical professionals are realizing that, you know, any sort of pain doesn't necessarily need to be associated with trauma. Exactly, right. It's that old view that if women have sexual issues, it's all in their heads. It's all psychological, which is not true. You know, I mean, obviously some part of it is psychological, but there's physical stuff too. Right. And there is this older notion that it's all psychological. Right. I think that lends to that. And then what about body image issues? Because I Mm -hmm. thought that that is also something that you work with and, and that, you know, relates closely to painful sex and kind of lack of pleasure and not being able to feel that you know women are like worthy of themselves if they Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable in their own bodies so Mm -hmm. how does that play into all this work that you do as well yeah oh my god that's huge that's another one that could be a whole episode (laughs) but um i'm throwing all these big questions no i love it i love it um body image Uh and sex i think is probably something that I'll, I'll I'll speak for women in the right. U.S. anyway, because I know this culture the best. Right. But I think it's something that most women in the U.S. come into sexual experience mm-hmm. experiences having some kind of body self-consciousness. Right. Most of us. And we have to deal with it or unlearn it or something like that, ideally. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think most of us come in with this baseline of like not accepting our bodies. Right. Right. And so then when pain happens, that's this extra layer unexpectedly of something else that you have to like deal with, feel something about, try to accept, try to imagine that your partner's going to accept. It's like this whole other area of body right. image. Um, and I think body image can be if there's discomfort about your body it's super distracting from pleasure it's like you can only focus on so many things at one time and during sex you know if we're focusing on how we look or how we think we look or or what we don't like then our minds focus on that and not on what feels good or what we would like or what's you know the other good stuff that's going on right um there's a term in in sex therapy for kind of anxiously or critically focusing on yourself during sex called spectatoring like you're a spectator Mm -hmm. of your experience and I think that has a lot to do with body image of feeling self-conscious or worried or embarrassed or ashamed of how like how our bodies look or what they're doing right and it's a big you know deterrent to sexual pleasure so how do you talk women kind of through this Mm -hmm. obstacle 
Yeah, there's a lot of different things that we do. Sometimes I will ask people to do an exercise that everybody hates, which right. is like try to sit down with yourself in the mirror every day right. and look, you know, try to look with a fresh with fresh eyes right. at yourself and try to pick out parts that you like uh-huh. versus what we typically do automatically pick out parts that we don't like. Right. Um, so I ask people to do that. I ask people to try to look at themselves in the mirror with um this sounds cheesy, but mm-hmm. like love and kindness. Like mm-hmm. if you were looking at your sister, or your best friend, or your daughter, or something like that. Like how right. would you, how would you approach them? Can you, sure. you know, extend that same set of feelings to yourself? Uh-huh. Um, I ask people to think about when they're in a sexual situation with a partner. Could they imagine that their partner is viewing them with that kind of kindness versus a critical eye? Which is usually the case, mm-hmm. hopefully. Otherwise, yeah. you know, get another partner. Yeah. But so that's that's another thing. Um, and also, I try to help women refocus when they notice that they're having this kind of anxious or critical self-focus during sex. Notice that that's happening and then try to return your attention to everything else. What's, what feels good, what you're enjoying, what you might like to do. Um, and you, you have to practice doing that over and over and over again. Most of us do anyway to like unlearn that right. tendency to focus on. Um, body like self-consciousness or body embarrassment right so those are a couple those are a few of the things and I think also what's so interesting is most people only notice like I mean you can obviously you can notice the good things about yourself as well Mm -hmm. but you know you're hypercritical of yourself totally things that you see that you don't like yep most people aren't they're not looking at at those flaws the way that you are no absolutely not it's crazy yeah yeah so it's kind of also i feel like getting out of your own head in Mm -hmm. a certain sense it's exactly that getting out of your own head and realizing that that doesn't help anything right i think that's the other thing like often we'll do that like criticize ourselves with the mistaken belief that it's going to help us be better. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if I criticize myself, then it'll make me go to the gym or change that or like wear different makeup or whatever. Right. But it never helps. It actually never gets us any closer to feeling better about our bodies. It's just the opposite. Yeah. And so once we can really fully understand and accept that, I think it's easier to try to let that stuff go. I think that's great advice. And I completely agree. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of just going back to some other tools that you use with patients who are struggling with any form of chronic pain um Mm -hmm. and i know that you were talking about kind of like reframing and how Mm -hmm. patients can reframe certain thoughts but Mm -hmm. i don't know if you want to talk more about like that specific tool or just other tools that you think are helpful for people with chronic pain and Mm -hmm. sexual pain to use i think the first thing that I always tell people is that you're in the driver's seat on how you want to approach your pain. Right. Obviously, um, I know that there can be a pressure to be really positive and to, um, you know, try to, you know, get back to normal life as soon as you can and, you know, have a sexual relationship if you want that and all that stuff, which is true. I I totally believe that those things are good, but on your own 
time schedule. Right. So like I said earlier, when you were asking about like, how do I work with women? Like it, it totally depends on where they are in terms of their timing. And everyone's situation's different. Everybody's is a little right. bit different. So yeah, you're in the driver's seat. Don't pressure yourself if you're not ready to approach this part of it yet. But having said that, if somebody is ready to, um, I definitely, I think some of the reframing is actually some of the biggest parts. So you might reframe the idea like, I can't think about sexual pleasure or sex till I'm better. Mm-hmm. Um, reframe that to no I can it's okay like I can do that if I want to do that I can totally do that right they can go together you know I'm not gonna I'm not going to hurt my treatment or I mean okay we can talk about that but I'm not gonna typically if I'm doing things that are okay medically I'm not gonna like hurt my treatment or you know or anything like that um we can reframe also like I shouldn't think about this till I'm better I think some women have that idea like oh my gosh no I I shouldn't think about it. You know, this pain is some sort of sign that I shouldn't be sexual or I need to just like relax and not do anything. Um, I I definitely think reframing that to, you know, if I want to, I can definitely focus on this right now. That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if you run into that with women that you talk to. Sometimes there is this underlying fear that this is like a punishment or, you know, something that's been, you know, visited on you for some reason Mm -hmm. um and and therefore you shouldn't mess with it until it's better i completely agree i think that as you're saying kind of telling yourself that like i can go do all of these things Mm -hmm. it's not going to set me back like i've been working on treating this for two years i'm Mm -hmm. 85 percent better Mm -hmm. and like i can go do these things and even if i don't feel 100 percent, like i shouldn't let that get in the way of me living my life and i think that that's like something that other women could probably relate closely to is mm-hmm. that even if they're not 100 percent yeah you don't know you're hopefully you'll get to 100 percent. i'm right. sure you will at some point but right how how much can you let that get in the way kind mm-hmm. of of your life exactly yeah i could not have said it better yeah, yeah. there is this tendency to want to be back to 100 percent before we want to go re-engage and restart and like i constantly that feel that way but of course this is like this is actually super helpful because it's like mm-hmm. you have to live you know you have to live yeah. and i think there is this tendency to want to be back to 100% A, so that you feel like you're going to be a good, you know, a good lover for your partner, back to 100% so that you know it's going to feel really good for you, back to 100% so that you don't feel disappointed about how it is now versus how it used to be. There's a lot of reasons that people want to be back to 100%. I think there is also this cultural thing, again, this kind of American cultural thing where we're very idealistic. It's like we want things to be perfect or ideal or 100 percent yeah yeah before we like start to do what we want to do and it just doesn't doesn't serve us i think a lot of time so that idea of not being 100 percent but doing it anyway Mm -hmm. is if you want to is i think absolutely perfect that's right yeah and that's that's what i was that's what i was going to ask you kind of next is what role does you know this modern world and idea of sex and pleasure yeah. play into all of this like yeah it looks like everything's supposed to be perfect but in reality it's just that's not how most people are no experiencing these types of areas of life exactly yeah, yeah no that that's so true it looks like it's perfect it looks like it's um really spontaneous right it looks like it's there's this very idealized um depiction i guess of sex where it's always passionate it's often spontaneous 
people look really great um it all works the way it's supposed to nobody has to stop ever talk about anything right there's just all this stuff <laughs> that even if you don't have pelvic pain yeah that just isn't realistic a hundred percent in a sexual experience but people can feel really self-conscious if they feel like they're not going to measure up to that that standard and like what they see in movies mm-hmm. and porn and wherever it is exactly yeah. exactly which is just not really realistic for anyone who's not in front of a camera right yeah totally and yeah yeah it has really in in that regard it has nothing to do with pelvic pain it's just like the idea of of sex in general mm-hmm. and like romantic right. activities and romantic activities yeah. and what yeah what that looks like yeah and yeah exactly um exactly. And then what did I want to ask you next? So in terms of everything we've been talking about, I know that you've shared a lot of really helpful information, but is there anything else that you think would be helpful for people listening to know or Mm -hmm. that you wanted to share? Yeah, actually, I have some really concrete strategies or Uh tools for people. Um, One is just to really get familiar with what does hurt and what doesn't hurt. Right. And that might be through self-exploration like masturbation or it might just be like through sitting down with yourself in front of a mirror and poking around. Right. It might be with your partner if that's somebody that you really trust to like take take direction very well, you know. Yeah. Um, But get familiar at this point in your life and your treatment what hurts and what doesn't and try to make a list of like what doesn't hurt like what can you do sexually that is not gonna provoke pain right um and that could be really broad it could be like well making out with my partner doesn't hurt or maybe penetration hurts but oral sex doesn't hurt or maybe you know it could be anything at all but try to make a list of the things that you can do that Mm -hmm. you can do that are not off limits um And then another thing I say is to try to practice telling your partner or a potential partner what you need, because that's the other part. I think that's the other part of like how women in particular are socialized and how this ideal kind of plays out. Like there's usually not a lot of talking during Mm -hmm. sex or about sex in movies and, you know, in porn and stuff like that. But um, in reality, it's super helpful to be able to do that. And then with pain in particular, it's it's essential to be able to say what you need and what's off limits um, in a way that's, you know, clear to your partner and lets you have a good experience. So try to identify what those things are that you would actually need to say. Practice doing that. And then I have another question that I kind of just thought of, but Mm -hmm. I think it's something that you would be able to answer really well and this is something that I've struggled with and that I know a lot of other women struggle with who have pelvic pain but Mm -hmm. I think the component of explaining to your partner what you're going through and from my experience trying to explain to men is really difficult because they Mm -hmm. just don't understand which it's not their fault but like Mm -hmm. why would they know but it's just hard to explain and I think especially if anyone like explaining to anyone that's not going through it they don't know mm-hmm. how you're feeling so right. how do you get your partner to understand what you're feeling what you're going through and mm-hmm. how this is affecting you mm-hmm. you know without kind of scaring them away or confusing them like right how do you approach that conversation oh that's such a good question i'm so Thank glad you. you asked that i didn't think of it either <laughs> yeah um, but i thought you would be the perfect person to to answer that yeah i talk a lot with my clients about this actually um i tend to say it, it varies depending a little bit on the right. partner. So if it's somebody that you're dating or you're just getting to know and you're trying to just give them 
the first bit of information about, you know, sex is painful sometimes. Mm-hmm. I I recommend keeping it pretty simple mm-hmm. at the beginning and then giving more information as needed or right. as you feel more comfortable doing it. So that's great advice for me because really? I'm like overshare I overshare everything. Because you want them I to give know. like too much information to mm-hmm. everyone, even to my friends. So it's just yeah. I'm like a uh I have like what's it called diary of the mouth. Like, <laughs> <Right. laughs> so sometimes You're I'm like, talker. all right, yeah, t- tone it back right. a little bit. Like people don't need to know all of this. all of it, right? Yeah. I like to keep it in like yeah. digestible chunks, especially for a new person. Yeah. So initially, it might just be something like, "Hey, I need you to know." Um, sometimes there are things sometimes sex hurts sometimes or sometimes there are things um in sex that are painful for me so i just want you to know that but i'll tell you you know what i'll I'll tell you i'll I'll guide you right um or you know you can ask me questions if you want to but like basically that's it at the beginning um just so that they're they know and they're gonna hopefully then like wait to hear from you what you need or what you don't want um if you want them to know any more than that, like if you want them to know specifics, it's totally fine to tell them that. Like, look, we we really can't do this or this doesn't feel good right mm-hmm. now. So let's do something else. But I like to do that initially. Like sex hurts sometimes, but, um, you know, I know what hurts and what doesn't. So I'll tell you. And then like maybe more specifics in the moment or in the experience so that, um, it's manageable chunks of information for the other person to, to get yeah. to really understand. And then if it's somebody that you're going to be with for a long time or you've been with for a long time, it might then be easier to sit down and have a more detailed conversation about, so here's my diagnosis, here's what that means, you know, right. here's the treatment that I'm going through, here's what this means for us, you know, giving more information if there's more of a like more of a bond and and you kind of know the other person a lot better. Right. And I think that that's really good advice because starting simple Mm -hmm. and starting just with kind of like the basics of what the situation is, Mm -hmm. is easier for you. It's easier for the, for the partner. And then Mm -hmm. over time, if the relationship develops, you're going to become more comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. They're going to get to know you better. Totally. And like informa- if there is more information to be shared, it will come out kind of naturally. Mm-hmm. And it won't be like, you won't be overwhelming yourself or or this other person. Yes. With like your medical history of all of these yes. years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It can be, it can feel overwhelming even yeah. for the person who's sharing it, right. right? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when I'm trying to explain to people, whether even if it's a friend or a family member or someone I want to date with, whoever yeah. it is, it's like, I think that I have to take someone back mm-hmm. five years or right. like three years or, mm-hmm. and I really don't, like you don't, you, you can keep it really simple. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just like in one or two sentences say like, I have a muscular issue in my pelvic floor, period. Totally, yes, exactly. Yeah, I love that. And I think of that as self-care too, because I know what right. you're saying, it can feel like in order to be really, honest or thorough or clear you have to give a lot of information but you don't have to if you don't want to no it depends on the other person and really what they need to know or what you need them to know for sure yeah um thank you yeah that was good i was i'm happy that we covered that question Yeah, i'm glad you asked that i think a lot of people wonder that yeah um Mm. okay now i want you to talk about this orgasm course that 
you have thank you created yes yeah. <laughs> I will I will so speaking of pleasure um, I decided to so I see a lot of different sexual concerns right. with my clients not just pain pains one of them but then a lot of other things too and one of the things that I see a lot for women is trouble having orgasms right and usually it's funny like usually women don't actually come to therapy for that reason it just comes out in right right the process in yeah. the process yeah and I think it's telling that women won't come to therapy for that reason because a lot of women feel like this is just how I am or mm-hmm. there's nothing to do about it or or it's not like it's not worthy of going to therapy for or something like that. Right. I think it's one of those ways that we devalue our own pleasure, kind of like sure. we were talking yeah. about at the beginning. So um, so I decided to create this course. It's an online class. It's like um, if you've ever taken a class online to learn mm-hmm. to do anything, it's just like that. It's videos and homework, 10 weeks. Right. Um, you do one video every week and then there's masturbation homework basically right. that you do in you know in your bedroom yeah um but the goal of the course is to help women understand if you do have trouble having orgasms or you've never had an orgasm or you just you've had some but you don't know exactly why you do or why you don't right or you have them but you just don't have them with partners that's a really common one the goal is to try to help women understand what's contributing to the difficulty mm-hmm. and then what do you do to learn how to have an orgasm because it's a learnable thing mm-hmm. for the vast majority of people it's not that there's anything physically wrong right it's something getting in the way mentally or physically of getting what you need in order to have pleasure and an orgasm so the course is is basically that I tried to distill down you know if somebody came to me for therapy for this thing what are all the different components that I would want to touch on in that therapy and I and I put those into the course that's amazing I love it thank so you cool that you created this I have I'm so excited about it. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it's been like a year and a half in the making. That's amazing. Though. I tested it. It's just about to go on sale. So, um, and sign and I'll up link for... it in the notes for oh, this thanks. episode in the bottom so people can just access it easily. But that's amazing. And I think that that's something that so many women will be able to really benefit from. I hope so. Yeah. I, I got really good feedback from the women who beta tested it for right. me. And I was really surprised actually that so many people said, I, you know, there were so many things in this course that I didn't realize that I had discomfort about, you know, with sex, or mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I had these, you know, you know, negative beliefs or negative messages that I had been taught or that I wasn't speaking up as much as I wasn't speaking up in bed. And um, so it's been really cool to feel like, oh, yeah, this is actually something that so interesting that a lot of us you know most of us most of us need yeah, yeah. exactly and something that no one talks about no or people do but not so openly as you would think i know yeah. i know i feel like it's getting a lot better i agree th- these days but it's still i think there's so much more to talk about for sure Oh, and I was going to piggyback yeah. on what you said just now. It reminded me to say that a lot of women suffer with sexual problems, including pain, for a long time before they get treatment. Yeah. Pain, not so much. I think women do tend to go seek treatment for pain. Yeah. Um, but other kinds of sexual issues like past trauma or problems right. with desire, problems with orgasm, arousal, or stuff like that. Sometimes women don't because they are not sure if it's appropriate or that there's a for treatment. Sure. Yeah. Um, but 
go seek treatment for yeah. sure if that's something that's going on. And even if you can't go to a specialist right away, at least go to your general practitioner and tell them what's going on and try to get, you know, referrals and try to find your way because usually there's a treatment yeah. for what you're going through. And I, I think that's great advice. And I think that the sooner you kind of start with treatment, the mm-hmm. sooner you'll be able to work through whatever the problem is that you're going through. Definitely. And it's the same, like the... Um, other doctors and people who treat pelvic pain who have been mm-hmm. on the podcast, they always say like, if you have any sort of discomfort or pain or some sensation that you think isn't normal, mm-hmm. don't wait, like don't, don't wait. tell yourself it's okay, but it's the no. same with the mental component that comes with different mm-hmm. sexual health issues. Don't don't try and tell yourself it's okay. Like right. if you feel a certain way and mm-hmm. you think that, you know, there's something that can be done about a problem you're having, mm-hmm. it's so important to mm-hmm. seek out help for it. Even if you think yeah. it's like a very small issue, like exactly. it can be worked through if you mm-hmm. if you want to work through it. It absolutely can. Yeah. yeah. And if you're in an area somehow that you don't have access to specialists or you like you feel like you can't afford therapy or right. I know there's a lot of issues, get a book. Like right. there's lots of really good books out there yeah, too. Yeah, that's good advice. Like that's a place to start to at least get the knowledge that you might need to take the next step Uh so yeah I think books are also better than Google I love books yeah they're much better (laughs) than Google (laughs) are there any books in specific that you recommend um for pelvic pain or for sexual pain or Mm -hmm. any any books that you know you you have like that I love. That you recommend, yeah. I do have some. Um, so I love Stephanie Prendergast's book, Pelvic Pain Explained. I actually ordered it. And I, I haven't read it. It's on my night table. Oh, yeah. It's great. I have to read it when I get back it's to New York. It's super clear. Yeah. It's super helpful. I love that one. Um, my favorite book on women's sexuality that includes some about pain, but then a lot about everything else mm-hmm. is called Come As You Are. Okay. It's by Emily Nagoski. She's a um, sex educator. Um she's in indiana somewhere don't quote me on that though but come as you are by emily nagoski is hands down the best book on women's sexuality that has come out in decades it's so good i'm gonna link everybody should read it yeah please do i'm gonna order it as well yeah you'll (laughs) love it it's fantastic amazing yeah it's really good um thank you and Mm -hmm. then can you share your information if anyone wants to contact you Mm -hmm. or if they want to uh see you as a patient Mm -hmm. where can they get in touch um go to my website that's the easiest way it's um drericamarchand.com and Mm -hmm. you'll link it yes um and you can get in touch with me there's a an email form you can read all about my practice you can sign up for my email list if you want more info on the course when it comes out um yeah go to my website and i think that's it yeah i think thank you thank you so much it was was amazing a pleasure yes cool all right Bye, guys. Bye.